now presenting John Gabriel, the undisputed king of stuff. What is up, podcasts? This is your favorite podcast host, John Gabriel, on your favorite podcast, The King of Stuff. Have an interview coming up in a minute with Christian Toto. After that, I will blather about the politics of the day. I know you're all waiting on pins and needles for that. We actually had the Ricochet meetup here in the greater Phoenix area, and it was fantastic. So thanks for everybody who showed up to that. Good time. Saturday afternoon, joking, talking, all that. We talked about politics some, but actually not a lot. I I think just people want to hang out and get to know each other. So that was a great time as well. But here is the interview. Christian Toto, you might be familiar with him. We had him when this was the Conservatarians. We had him on as a guest a couple times. It's been a while, and uh, we just had the Oscars, so I thought he would be a great guest for it. He's an award-winning journalist, film critic, and podcaster. More than 20 years' experience covering Hollywood. He uh, writes, he's a certified reviewer for Rotten Tomatoes. Um, he's the in the Critics' Choice Association. He's basically a movies and pop culture expert, and also he happens to be conservative. So he's not just spending all his time whining about movies and Hollywood and the like, but he brings a conservative perspective, which is all too rare in that industry. Here's the interview. Well, we just had the Oscars this past weekend, and the go-to guy is Christian Toto. Hey, what do you know? He's our guest today. So he um, knows everything there is to know about movies and entertainment. Christian, how are you, sir? I'm good. Actually, the Oscars are still going on, so they're not quite over yet. <laughs> they're, they're, they're almost at the end, so that's... that's right, good. right. Yeah, yeah. They're playing a walk-off music now for, a, <laughs> I don't know, assistant key grip or something like that. Exactly. So um, what did you think of the awards show? I did not see them... Um, I've kind of been delinquent on movies um, ever since I had kids and I got distracted. And then when I started watching movies again, everything was a superhero CGI. And I was like, okay, I'll wait till this fad passes a little. I didn't see it, but I did see clips on social media, especially on Twitter. And it seemed nice, you know, with the people who won. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm not seeing a lot of controversy. It seems like nice kind of feel-good stories seems to be winning. So w- what were your thoughts about the show? Uh, that's pretty accurate without even seeing it. It was nice. It was sweet. It was charming. And it wasn't divisive. And I think in recent years, it's almost played down to a caricature of what people on the right worry when it comes to the Oscars. It's going to be full of speeches and lectures and partisan jokes. And it was a little bit of that, but not really. Even Jimmy Kimmel, who's a pretty you know uh, partisan fellow on Late Night, he played it straight. He was charming. He was funny. He was low key. He wasn't a laugh riot. I don't think he's ever been a laugh riot, but he made you feel welcome. It was right from the jump. His monologue was on target and uh, it was almost subversive the way it kind of recalled the old days. I I grew up with the Billy Crystal years when he was the host time and again, and it had a little bit of that sentiment to it. So I, I enjoyed it. And again, it's way too long. It's not exciting. If you're not a movie buff, there's not a lot to kind of grab onto, but as an Oscar ceremony, not so bad. Yeah, yeah. And also just the stories behind it, too. And me being also a fellow person who grew up during the Billy Crystal era, uh-huh. um, it was great to see like um short round and Bresden Frazier up there on stage. I was like, okay, these are just good people. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis won. It's like, oh, that's kind of nice to see. Um, 
and yeah, Michelle Yeoh's speech about hey, women, you're not you're you're never going to be past your prime. I was like, wow, this feels like such a throwback. And like you say, it's funny how it's almost subversive and just being kind of normal. Yeah, it's weird that subversive is now normal, but that's the way we are today. It's funny, one of the few digs that Jimmy Kimmel did later in the show uh, against the right side of the aisle was actually improv because I think there was a um, a teleprompter malfunction. So he had to kind of wing it. <laughs> and I guess that was <laughs> on the tip of his tongue. So, you know, but the bottom line is that I think if the show is like this more often, it, listen, I don't think it has to be catering to X or Y, but mm -hmm. it really should be a celebration. It should be enjoyable. It should be light. And the speeches should be you know, chock full of gratitude. They were. Jamie Lee Curtis got her start in movies like Halloween, and she gave a shout out to genre films. Listen, the Oscars mm -hmm. hate genre films. They don't. They don't. Right. They don't look at them. But to have an an, an honoree, a winner, you know, talk about that was wonderful and sweet and unexpected. Yeah, and I, I wonder. I think part of it, and I um, was wondering when I was chatting with my wife about it because uh, she was. We were like throwing news back and forth. Hey, this person won, uh -huh. and it, it seemed like okay. You don't have a Republican in the White House, so you don't need to do the virtue signaling. But it seems like usually they find ways to squeeze that in anyway. And I'm kind of wondering, and you know far better than me on this thing. But you see, like Top Gun Maverick, movie of the year, didn't win the award for it, of course, but box office was crazy. Um, somebody um, snuck in uh, trying to listen into the audio of Spielberg talking to Tom Cruise about a month ago saying, look, Tom, you saved Hollywood with, <laughs> with your one movie. Do you think a lot of people in Hollywood, not everybody, but a lot of people are saying, hey, why don't we actually entertain audiences again? Maybe we'd A, make a lot of money. And B, have fun doing it. You know, I don't know. And I, that's a horrible answer. But I will say it doesn't seem accidental that this particular Oscar telecast had the tone it had, that Jimmy Kimmel dialed it back and just told sweet, light jokes. I, I don't think that happens in a vacuum. So whether there was some sort of, you know, decree from the producers of the show, whether there's a collective sense of, hey, let's just, you know, put on a show and not and not get in the weeds of all the stuff we've talked about in the past. It's hard to say. I, you have to really kind of be behind the scenes to know exactly what happened. But it was not accidental. These things just don't happen. So I, I don't know what led to it, but I think it's good. But I also think that they do themselves a disservice by not even telegraphing that. If you know, Jimmy Kimmel does press before the the awards. There are producers who talk to the press as well. If they had kind of alluded to gently, listen. I know in the past it's been a bit political. It's been a bit agenda driven, and for some people they love it, and some people they don't. Mm -hmm. We're going to push past that this year. I think I think our new mission is kind of go old school. If they kind of mm -hmm. kind of shared that, maybe it would have helped more in the ratings. And the ratings did tick up a little bit, but they're still mm -hmm. far far below what they once were not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, and it's something too that everybody can get together and watch. Okay, well, those were the big awards. Um, were you surprised at everything, everywhere, all at once, um, doing so well? Um, uh, unfortunately, this is why I'm terrible when it comes to movies, and I need to talk to an expert because my wife and I keep wanting to watch it with our college age daughter, and um, we we keep saying, "Hey, let's watch it." on saturday night and then oh sorry i got plans and so so he heads out and so i feel like every weekend we're supposed to watch it we haven't yet everybody i know who saw it absolutely loved it 
It had a lot of popular appeal. It was technically an indie style movie, but mm-hmm. it made not a huge box office like you know Top Gun, but it made respectable cash. Critics mm-hmm. enjoyed it. I I didn't love it honestly, but there was mm-hmm. no surprise there because one of the things about the Oscars now is that there are a million award shows a day before, a week before. <laughs> right. before. So if a movie cleans up and you know eight out of ten of them. Chances mm-hmm. are it's going to do pretty well in Oscar night. And that's exactly what the template was. So not too much of a surprise. I think it had been a shock if anything else won Best Picture, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we saw some signs of hope there. Are you seeing signs of hope in production as it rolls forward? Now, if Hollywood decided today, okay, we're going to start focusing on the general audience and not try to browbeat people and lecture people. Um, over the past few years, we've seen just kind of woke them run amok if they just changed their mind today it would take a while to work through hollywood but are you seeing signs of the movies in general they're trying to say hey why don't we uh open this up a bit have some fun um or talk about issues that aren't quite as divisive i think it's a yes and no answer because there are some positive signs uh also i think a lot of the 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 economics of the moment are maybe changing things and maybe putting the pressure on because you're seeing some project that seemed to be woke-ish getting canceled either before they hit the screens, large or small, or shortly after they do so. You know, the, the infamous story about Batgirl being shelved before it was even ready for right. ready for consumption is still yeah. shocking. There were some Netflix shows that were canceled before they got into, you know, post-production. So I think you're seeing elements of that involved, shows that were a bit woke getting canceled, maybe when they should have been canceled instead of extended indefinitely. But at the same time, I think there's a Starsky and Hutch reboot that's coming. That's going to be a gender flip. And not that I that's did hear about that. Yeah. But I mean, that's been what this this sort of mode is. Instead of telling compelling stories with female characters, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. Taking these existing properties and say, well, we'll just make you know a woman version of it, which mm-hmm. it often doesn't work and often feels just a bit precious. So, you know, I think for every step forward, there's a couple of steps back. And we'll have to wait and see. I mean, like you said, these things do take time. The the wheels of change are slow in Hollywood. And, you know, a movie approved today, it's not going to come out for two or three years at best. So, you know, I think the, I think the more evidence needs to, uh, it needs time before we see it. But I, I think there are, there are murmurings behind the scenes. I think you can see it in some of the, the comments in the, the Oscar show itself. But uh, I also think the more you see successful comedians who are kind of working outside the mainstream, really thrive. Uh, Russell Brand is going to be working with locals and rumble on his next comedy special. Andrew Schultz last year just crushed it going independent. You know, there was a platform that said, hey, we love you. We want to put you on our platform, but don't tell that joke and don't tell that joke. And he said, hey, bleep you. I'm out of here. I bought the rights back and he really did well. So I think that may put pressure on Hollywood as well when they see those success stories. Yeah, exactly. And that's the good kind of competition. Uh, Watching that now, what do you think, too, pulling back from the politics a little, what do you think about movie going in general? Um, it's been a struggle. We, of course, had COVID, which just thrashed the industry. Um, everybody locked in their homes. Now people are getting a little more used to it. Um, when Tenet came out, they weren't quite ready yet, but now it seems like, okay, now we'll hit the theaters. How do you think um, the old-time movie experience, going out, seeing a movie, Do you think it's going to be okay in the long run? You know, I think it will be with reservations. I think we saw late last year, while the pandemic really isn't an issue of consequence now, 
A lot of big time Oscar movies just absolutely tanked. The Fablemans did not make much money. Bones and All didn't. Uh, Till made no money. Tar made no money. Banshees of Man Sharon. Excuse me. All you know, these are quality films. People mm-hmm. stayed away in droves. I think what you're seeing now is more escapism, really kind of clicking at the box office. Horror is doing a killing. I mean, movies like Megan, the new Scream film, Barbarian from last year. I, I just, I think that genre is really what we need right now. And I think we also need just escapism, period. You know, Cocaine Bear has been a surprise hit and that's done well. Creed 3 is really enjoyable and old school in a way. And that's uh, doing very well at the box office. So I think you're seeing signs of hope, but the signs of hope are coming from movies that are just sheer entertainment. They're not woke. They're not serious. They're not sober. It's not what I call eat your vegetables movie going where you're like, oh, I know it's yeah. going to be for me. I'll see it. No, people are exhausted. They're, you know, they're worried about their careers, worried about the economy. They just want to go and just get away. And I think movies like Cocaine Bear, it's no Oscar winner, but it, right. it scratches the itch. And that's what we want. Well, and then you also had a lot of crossover success for a movie made in India like RRR. I guess that's all you do to pronounce it, but (laughs) which is obviously just pure crazed escapism. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a movie being finished myself. There's a movie coming out called Sisu, which talk about Oscar bait. It's just basically an old man, Finn, not like me at all going total John Wick on Nazis. I went, okay, now that's the kind of movie I want to go watch. (laughs) Yeah, and John, there's a John Wick movie coming soon as well, so we get more mm-hmm. about Keanu Reeves. You know, I, I think at some point Hollywood really needs to look at what's successful, what's not successful, and, and and recalibrate what they're doing, what they're offering. And again, it does take time, but I, I, I get the sense some of this is coming through. The message is being received. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we're seeing it on the late night programs. I don't think we're seeing it on Saturday Night Live, which just continues to be relentlessly one-sided in a way that just breaks my heart. I loved that show growing up. I was a little boy. I'd I'd beg my mom, mom, wake me at 1130 on Saturday night. I don't care. I've got to watch Mr. Bill, the the claymation puppet. Yeah. Yeah. And then she'd always let me sleep because she's a mom and that's what mom's supposed to do. But you know, to to see that show as rebellious and cantankerous and edgy as it once was. And now I know I just, I barely recognize it. So I really hope that maybe some of the changes we're talking about filter in. And, you know, I think if you're a right of center, you don't need to say, okay, there's no Trump jokes. It's jokes. It's all about Biden. We want to hit both sides. And I think that's often the best humor. And I think South Park's ability to endure year after year and just knock out of the park is a great example of that. Yeah, I I was recommended. I was on YouTube about two weeks ago and it recommended some compilation of Don Rickles videos it just over the years from like the 60s 70s 80s and it's just like it's just so alien almost it's like well we should put this in a time capsule because you have Don Rickles insulting Republicans Democrats blacks whites himself most of all and everybody having so much fun with it and basically begging him to insult them in particular. Um, so <laughs> well, I was like, wow. I'm in the front row. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's like, wow, have times changed? And it was just almost jarring to watch it. It's like, I'm surprised YouTube hasn't, I don't know, put adults only warning on it or something. You want to talk about jarring? I've been rediscovering South Park with my son. He's 14, maybe a little young, but I'm I'm watching it with yeah. him. That's my excuse. Yeah. He, jaw-dropping what they got away with then 
the fact that it's still allowed to be shared and displayed now, I mean, I don't use those terms loosely. I'm just amazed. And they've touched upon trans issues and, and, and freedom of speech and lots of really cultural hot button areas that you won't go near today. I don't even know if the show could do it again today. But, you know, back in the 2000s, they did. They got away with it. And I think just having these cute cartoon animated things that look so crude and so so defenseless in a way go there. It, it, it makes it palatable. It's fascinating. But it, it really does speak to the culture. Well, and that's something, too, where um, the creators of South Park, they have completely insulated themselves from the industry. They own their content. They do their own thing. They're buying Mexican restaurants in Denver. They're like, look, this is fun. This is what we like. And nobody's going to tell us no. And as you mentioned, Andrew Schultz, Russell Brand. um, Before that, we've had, you know, Louis C.K., who kind of had to do this for other reasons. But what has the whole streaming revolution done? There's platforms like Rumble that are already there. There's people can set up their own website. But Boy, if I am a middle-aged Hollywood exec looking at this saying, oh, how do I keep up with the cool kids? I'd be terrified about this uh, development that they can say, look, you you do, you cannot give me notes. I'll give you notes. And if not, I'll do my own thing. Or you can say, hello, Ryan Long, Andrew Schultz, and Joe Rogan. We're doing a buddy comedy. It's a road trip movie. It is off the wall. We want you guys to be the stars and we're going to let mm-hmm. you run wild and we're going to see what happens. I mean, I think there's opportunity there. That's even for great. The I mean, I think there's a real hunger for that kind of inappropriate humor because at the end of the day, you know, you mentioned Don Rickles. Do you think that he was mean and vicious and hated no, people no. of color? Yeah. I think he just wanted to make people laugh and he was outrageous. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you could really sense through the years that 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 was shtick, that that was not what he meant, that he really loved when everyone laughed and he wanted everyone to be there. And he he thought that making fun of everyone was the way to bring everyone together. So I, I think I think you can really sense when a comedian is trying to be vicious and you can sense when a comedian's just trying to make you laugh. And comedians need that rope. They need the ability to kind of say, hey, you know what? That joke did stink. I, I'm going to retool it or or just crush it for my set. But maybe next time I'll tell it this way with this inflection and this word. Might be great. Yeah. Yeah. And that can make all the difference as well. And I've always loved the comedians anyway. You can usually tell if it's mean or not. It's just not funny to me. And I've watched comedy like you, you know, wake me up to see Saturday Night Live. I, I was completely that kid. Always loved comedy. But um, I've always loved the comedians who play. They're probably really smart, like Norm MacDonald, but they pretend they're the dumbest guy in the room. Half the jokes are their own expense. And then that kind of gives them leave to laugh at other people, make yeah. weird observations. It's like, ooh, I can't believe he went there. But he can just go, hey, look, I'm just a, I'm just the dumb guy. But you can tell there's no malice behind it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also something that's legitimately inclusive. You know, Joe Coy is an uh, an Asian-American comedian, and he does a lot of jokes about his family, and he's picking on his mom sometimes. But he loves his mom. He loves the culture. And I think people in the audience who may be of a similar background, they want to be in on the joke. They want to laugh at themselves. They want to kind of recognize, oh, gosh. That's me. That's my aunt that does all those crazy things, but I love her to death and her her food is amazing. I mean, I, I think it's in a way it's divisive to say, OK, we're not going to make fun of this group or that group. We'll do here, here and here. And then you'll just sit in the audience and think, oh, they're never going to speak to me, even if they're poking mm-hmm. fun. Of me. It's a it's a weird dynamic. Yeah. And also, too, when you have 
let's say, for lack of a better term, woke comedy, when you have that, there is an acid touch to it. Something just watching, watching online, you would see um, impersonations of Donald Trump, for instance, some hilarious, some like Alec Baldwin, you could just tell he despised Donald Trump. So it wasn't fun. It wasn't silly. It wasn't funny. And uh, yeah, I can understand not liking him, you know, always too brash, whatever, but you almost need something and kind of throw back to Dana Carvey or something when he did George H.W. Bush. It was silly. It was just like, you know, Dana Carvey's making fun of Bush and he's making fun of mannerisms and he's laughing with the audience and he's making fun of himself and everybody's just in on it and enjoying it. When you can tell that um, a presenter, a host, an impersonator despises the person they're making fun of, it's just ugly. It just feels kind of icky. And that goes for anybody who's purportedly, quote unquote, on my side yeah, um, yeah. and, you know, hitting Biden or hitting Kamala. There's just like an ugliness where it's like, eh, this isn't fun. And conversely, there are comedians out there like Maya Rudolph does Kamala Harris. I mean, no one does Harris at this point because mm-hmm. they don't go near her. But it's almost a celebrity, a celebrity, celebratory uh, mm-hmm. impression where it's oh, she's great and she's wonderful and she's such a, a groundbreaker. Well, that's not really entertaining either. It's also toothless. I mean, you do, mm-hmm. you know, when, when when a David Carvey comes at you, there is some truth there. He is making some points, either, you know, mocking Bush's milquetoast demeanor or some mm-hmm. of his rhetoric. I mean, there's a nice balance there between that's funny. It's not super cruel, but yeah, I didn't realize that Bush was doing that. That's kind of in, mm-hmm. interesting. It made me think about it. And the best comedians make us think, they challenge us. And they can go into subjects where normally you can't. You can't even discuss right. it. If you make it funny and you make it thought-provoking, that's that's comedy at its best. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so we've gone through the award season cycle. What do you look at coming up for this year? Any summer blockbusters you see? What, what are you excited about uh, coming out the rest of this year? You know, it seems like Tom Cruise is on a hot streak. He hit, rarely has bombs. I think The Mummy from a couple of years ago was a... A stark exception that was terrible. So he's got the new Mission Impossible film. He's been teasing it for a while. It's a two-parter. You know, he's teaming with a lot of the same creative people behind the scenes. So I can't not but look forward to that. I'm really worried about the new Indiana Jones movie and the Dial of Destiny. I, you know, Harrison Ford was the movie star of my era growing up. I love him to death. I wish I looked as 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 hearty as he does at 80, but he's 80 and he shot it when he was in his late 70s. And I just you know, to have such a rugged hero as Indiana Jones, as an older gentleman, I I, I, I mentioned this and I, I, I do my best not to be cruel because I don't mm-hmm. want to be cruel. It's not who I am, but it, it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable or I, I, I worry that they'll be able to carry off this character. And of course, the shadow of the king, kingdom of the crystal skull is weighing over everything. We know that movie was disappointing. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, there's an Oppenheimer film from a uh, director, Christopher Norton. Um, Christopher Nolan and no, everything he does is engaging. I don't know what tenant was. I I don't think I could watch it a a dozen times and figure it out, but I still want to see a Christopher Nolan film. So that's coming later this, I guess late in the summer, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that since I was, uh, well, I won the cold war single-handedly in my uh, (laughs) one tour of duty in the Navy. Yeah. Yeah. My job was manipulating Adam. So I went, Ooh, I want to see that one right when I saw it. But again, it's Christopher Nolan. So, yeah, he's not an actor, but he's a star name, too. It's like, okay, I want to see what that person does. Like, 
he has a brand like the Cohen brothers do or something like that. It's like, okay, I'll see that. What do you think about the entire sur- superherofication of so many blockbusters? Um, uh, you know, I loved Iron Man came out, loved it, loved a f- couple sequels and Thor, and this is fun. And as it got through the cycle, I'm like, I, okay, I'm done. I, I, I remember seeing en- enjoying uh, Doctor Strange, the first Black Panther. And then when they had whatever the final Avengers movie was, I told my wife, I have to announce I'm divorcing Marvel. And it, it's it's just like, I'm done. I need something new. Um, do you think they will carry on? You still have um, a lot. Of, and I think they can carry on. But boy, I, I think they just got a little bit oversaturated in the market with DC competing against Marvel, et cetera. Yeah, there's a lot of different forces here. One, the quality is certainly diminished. Secondly, we get a new superhero film every other day. I'm exaggerating, but only slightly. Uh, I think even the, the Disney boss is saying we're going to dial that back a bit. Uh, you know, the, the the charismatic figures, this you know, the Chris Evans, the Robert Downey Juniors, they've kind of stepped back and essentially retired. So you have sort of a a new crop of heroes, and they're not as strong. And, you know, these movies make an enormous amount of money, but they cost an enormous amount of money. So if Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania makes maybe 220 stateside and maybe the same you know, overseas, that's seen as unsuccessful. So, you know, you got to really kind of calibrate what's going on here. And I think one of the reasons why I think the horror genre is so vibrant is that you don't need to spend $200 million on the movie. You don't need mega stars to power it. You need, you know, 20 to 30 million, maybe a familiar face or two at best and a great concept. And I think that sort of return on investment is huge. So listen, any superhero movie is going to make cash, but if it doesn't make enough, then I think they're going to really start to rethink what's going on. I think that's starting to happen here. We'll have to wait and see. And also too, my wife and I watched Nope. We love Jordan Peele. Um, I thought Us was a bit of a tangle, a mess, adored Get Out, thought that was great. Nope. It was good. It wasn't great, but I thought it was a fun movie. It was good and it was interesting. And the thing that you say, that's more thriller or chiller than horror, but it's um, kind of like sci-fi or fantasy. It allows you to kind of investigate big questions, but you don't need to spend 80 bazillion dollars doing it. You could just say, oh, here's a weird idea. Why don't you run with that? Uh, Spend, you know, a more modest sum and you'll easily make that back. And it's like, oh, with our kind of crazed uh, dist- distribution we have here with streaming and so forth, these things, any kind of genre film is going to find its audience. Yeah. And just a quick note, I, there's been stories in the press recently about there's a new romantic comedy. I, I think it's by Nancy Meyer. Nancy Meyer's, mm-hmm. I'm kind of bungling the name, but she did uh, Something's Gotta Give and it's complicated. She's done some good films, some good rom-coms. Mm-hmm. It's her genre. Well, the price tag is anywhere between 100 to $130 million to make that movie. And it's kind of in flux right now. I think Netflix passing it. Why in the world do you need to spend that much money on that kind of movie? That is absurd. And mm-hmm. again, you don't need the big stars anymore because they don't guarantee fannies in the seats. I love mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson. I think she's amazing. I think she's a great actress. She's beautiful. She's not going to guarantee your movie successful. It just doesn't work that way. And how Hollywood can't figure out how to make a rom-com and keep the budget lower is is a mystery as, as big as the Sphinx. So I, I don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but I guarantee you could pluck an indie director and he or she could say, I can do that for $10 million. You know, mm-hmm. so I think there has to be a rethinking of what's going on behind the scenes. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, Christian Toto, thanks so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Um, once again, you're the go-to guy, expert when it comes to entertainment, entertainment media. Where can people find you on radio, online? Tell us more. <laughs> well, I don't like to, I like to keep my opinions to myself mostly, but <laughs> no, so, uh, I've got a podcast. It is Reborn, the Hollywood and Toto podcast. Talks about the culture, talks about free speech, talks about big tech censorship. And I'm interviewing a lot of interesting people. I don't think they're the big stars as of yet. Tom Hanks is not signed on to my show to appear, but I'm talking his, to his I'm, loss, I say. I, I agree. You know, comic book artists who have been censored, uh, comedians who maybe don't get their stuff on TikTok because they're saying the wrong kind of jokes. So that kind of material is on my podcast. I hope people check it out. And also, I'm really looking forward to talking to people across the aisle to get some left of center, talented people to say, hey, let's have a debate about what's going on in the culture in Hollywood. No, no meanness, no anger, no, you know, storming off. But I want to really have those kind of conversations. So that's going to be part of it. And then, of course, my website is HollywoodInToto.com. Okay, everybody check that out. Um, he's been a stalwart go to and he understands the conservative perspective without saying all you have to do is blow off Hollywood, <laughs> avoid any pop culture unless it adores Republican issues. It's just uh, very good to see and a very valuable resource. So Christian Toto, thanks so much for being on. Uh, my pleasure. I love your work. Always great to have Christian Toto on. I like bouncing ideas off him because I am so out of touch with movies these days. I used to see him constantly. And then um, I think what really uh, slowed down on that, because I we would go, my wife and I would go watch um, every Oscar nominee for Best Picture and stuff like that. Then we had kids. And so you kind of have this weird gap of, I don't know, five to 10 years where you're focused on kids and you might get to see a movie. If you do, it's probably going to be a kid's movie. So and, and after all that, I went back and started watching, as I told Christian, some of the superhero stuff. And I was just I got so burned out on it. Once COVID hit, I'm like, eh, yeah, I, I don't think I've been to a movie since. Gosh, let's see. Probably the Black Panther movie, the first one. I know I saw that. That's the last one I think I went to a theater for. So I have to get off my rear end and see some stuff. I really want to see this Oppenheimer film. Anywho, talking about the news of the day. Uh, one article that I wrote that is sweeping the nation. I know Insta Pundit and Real Clear Politics have highlighted it. But it's about Ron DeSantis. Now, um, laying my biases right on the table. He's my favorite right now if he does announce for president, um, but it's still super early. He has to prove himself on the national stage. And warning to any dedicated DeSantis fans or staffers listening to the show, every time I pick a candidate in the primary, they're the first to get knocked out. Every single time. I think uh, last time around, my top two picks were Scott Walker. This was in 2016. Scott Walker and Rick Perry, because I really like governors. Yeah, they both uh, dropped out very, very early. I don't even know if either one of them got to Iowa. So um, it does not bode well that he's my current number one. So don't get too excited about it. Maybe I should pretend somebody else is my first candidate. Anyway, a lot of people are freaking out. Here's what happened. Tucker Carlson sent a question to um, all the likely candidates, at least for the GOP presidential nomination. And he asked what their opinion on Ukraine was. Now, Trump is just like, this never would have happened without me. I would end it basically on day one. 
Nikki Haley kind of had this try to please everybody 19, I, I would say 2005 analysis. If we don't stop Russia here, then we're all going to be in trouble. It was uninspiring. But Ron DeSantis kind of has slightly more in between, leans more towards Trump. Here's what he said, quote, while the U.S. has many vital national interests, securing our borders, addressing the crisis of readiness within our military, achieving energy security and independence, and checking the economic, cultural, and military power of the Chinese Communist Party, becoming further entangled in a territorial dispute between Ukraine and Russia is not one of them. Well, this really upset a lot of people. Anybody, um, it, it seems like it really upset people within the Beltway. Those are the main people, the people who have Beltway brain. They've been in that system a long time. They are totally bought in. They just swim in that water. They don't even know they're swimming in. So I wrote a piece saying, okay, you guys are very out of touch. This is, yeah, for D.C., this is big news for the rest of America. Eh, I don't know. I. I think it's weird to call it a territorial dispute since it was a full-blown invasion, but it's, it is a territorial dispute. It's not like he's making that up. And he's just saying, hey, we have a zillion other things on our plate that are far more important than Ukraine. He didn't say we need to stop helping them at once. We, he didn't say, yeah, it's, Putin is cool. He just said, we have a lot of other things on our plate. We need to focus on those. Ukraine is not our top priority. I completely agree. I think for the time being, it's great to continue supporting them, but I'm very concerned that we've spent essentially more than half of the Ukrainian GDP we've sent to them in aid so far, and we're promising endless amounts of money. Joe Biden has said he will be there forever. We saw what he did in Kabul fleeing, but this time he says, no, this time I mean it. We are going to be supporting them forever. That is idiocy. Not only foreign policy idiocy, it is uh, electoral idiocy as well. He's going to support them, or the U.S. will support them, as long as the American people put up with it. And according to polling, you had uh, in the past, I think it was about a year ago, 68% of Americans said, yes, we should keep sending them arms. Um, what is that now? Well, back in January, they did another poll, and it was 48%. So. A plurality still want to be sending arms, and this is both parties, all Americans is what this polled. They want to still help, but they're not quite as enthusiastic as they were a year ago. A lot is going to depend on what happens in the spring and summer. Um, Russia is planning a huge offensive. Ukraine is planning a huge offensive. We got to see how that goes. And then it's like, okay, where do we go from here? Uh, due to weather conditions in Ukraine, it's one of those things where they're not going to be fighting full-on intense battles over um, major land grabs unless it's spring or summer, early fall. That's about it. Um, before and after those times, it's either snow or mud, and you can't really do a whole lot of advancing across uh, the steppes, basically, which Ukraine has a lot of. It's just kind of like the heartland Midwest. It's just these huge sweeps of territory, and once it gets covered with snow and or mud, it gets that gets very difficult. Ukraine has punched way above their weight. They've done far better than the vast majority of people expected. I think more than anybody, even, you know, rabidly pro-Ukraine voices, um, Ukraine has done better. Zelensky, he's been stalwart in this and he gets a lot of crap. I know. Oh, he was just a TV actor. Yeah. But for what he needs to do, what you expect, what many people expected to happen is the Russians invades. 
he packs a bunch of money in a suitcase and jets to Dubai. That's what most people thought would happen. It was a fait accompli. But he stayed and he rallied people. And yeah, he's getting too much coverage. When he's hanging out with Bono, when he's recording country songs uh, for the radio, I can't remember who the heck. There's some country artist who did a duet with him or something for a single about a month ago. So, yeah, he's overexposed. My view is, yeah, I support Ukraine in this. Putin's invasion was terrible. We should push it back if possible. But how much money do we send? We need to account for every dollar. We're not accounting for anything. We need to have long public debates about this. We aren't debating anything. The debate is basically you support Ukraine or you're the new Hitler. You, If you have any concerns about getting locked into some crazy land war on the doorstep of Asia, then uh, people say, oh, you just love Putin. It reminds me a lot of the COVID thing. If you were skeptical about lab leak stuff, about mask mandates, oh, you're a grandma killer. It's just all these quote unquote debates we've had about Ukraine and COVID before it. They're just intended to shut down debate. Your betters in Washington say you have to do this. It is a moral, fiscal, geopolitical a mandate, and you need to salute the flag and move on. No. We need to ask a lot of questions about this before we get into a situation that we can't easily get out of. So we should be very cautious. We should be very careful. Well, a lot of the people, kind of more of the, at least what used to be called the neocons, are all outraged. Lindsey Graham's outraged and Mitt Romney's outraged. How dare DeSanta say this? He loves Putin. No, he doesn't. He loves America. And that's what a lot of the people in the Beltway are missing. When you have Joe Biden jetting to Kiev, throwing money around, and then avoiding East Palestine, Ohio, and not sending a dime, yeah, that really ticks a lot of voters off. And voters, at least right now, support Ukraine. They empathize with them. They say, man, they got done wrong. Putin did them wrong. Do they want to send troops there? No, no, no. They don't want to do that. And if you look a year or two down the line, are they going to still want to be sending 100K or $100 million there every year? No, I don't think they will. For $31.5 trillion in debt, we have a lot of things we could be doing in our own country with that money. So, yeah, there is a case to be made for Ukraine. D.C. needs to make that case. They never have. It's never been debated. It's barely been discussed other than get in line and uh, do what Washington tells you. DeSantis' statement is just appropriately noncommittal. If he were to win the Republican nomination, then win the presidency, which is still, you know, way out there, what if situation, the strategy and the tactics to um, achieve that are going to be completely different than they are today. Um, I think they will be different, far different at the end of summer. Uh, we just don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how the American people will think about one side or the other. Um, if Zelensky can hold on, there are many, many unknowns, and we should not commit America to defending this country for the rest of our lives. It's crazy. So if anyone in D.C., which many of them seem to think that this is going to somehow either help or hurt DeSantis's chances, they are literally insane. I, I don't know. Foreign policy almost never plays a big, has a big impact on presidential elections when it does. Um, at least to the past, say, 20 years, it's kind of leaned towards the more dovish person. I would say after 2004, if you were a little uh, lighter on defense, um, like Obama, Obama got elected, 
Uh, Trump got elected saying we're going to bring all their troops home. Americans are not interested in unending support for Ukraine or any other country. This isn't about Russia. This isn't about Putin. It isn't about China, even though I think they're a far bigger enemy since they are um, actually on the rise and Russia is basically on its last legs. But um, yeah, we need to concentrate on a whole bunch of stuff. And um, somebody's vague foreign policy statement two years before the election is not going to have a big impact on said election. And why people in D.C. don't see this is beyond me. But once again, it's like you have the people in D.C. nationalism. Oh, that's horrible. That's the worst. Unless you're a nationalist for Ukraine. Then you're waving flags. You're shouting Slava Ukraini. These people are hardcore Ukrainian nationalists now. And I would kind of like them to focus on this country a little bit more than another country on the other side of the world. Uh, there is kind of a somewhat of a middle position that the vast majority of the American people are in. Um, when they are having arguments over the kitchen table, it is about the price of gas. It is not about what's going on on the other side of the Dnieper River. It, it's just people are not that passionately engaged in it um, as much as foreign policies wonks want them to be. Anyway, I'll include a link to that piece. Excuse the rant. Chuck Schumer today actually announced that they are starting a movement to repeal the AUMF, which sounds like an Internet acronym that is not family friendly. No, that is the authorizing use of military force. It was signed, what, 21 years ago, maybe 22 years ago uh, for George W. Bush to fight Iraq. It's basically a blank check for the White House to wage war against the vaguely defined terrorism and it's been in effect for 20 years, which is way too long. Good for him. I can't believe I'm saying this. What's funny is his announcement is he says, yeah, we're going to try to repeal the AUMF because Americans are sick of forever war. Yeah, that's why I'm skeptical about getting into Ukraine and committing ourselves to 20 years there. We're sick of forever war. So I agree with you, uh, Mr. Schumer. So good for him. That would be great. It seems like something that could pass with both parties uh, supporting completely. Oh, by the way, George Santos, he is uh, has filed for re-election. So, um, yeah, let's listen to Washington and do what they tell us to. OK. In other world defense news, Australia is finally buying some Virginia class nuclear subs from the U.S. Good for them. Um, they should have a huge presence of those being an island nation surrounded by some very shifty characters. So good for them getting it. Um, our friend Gray Connolly, who's been on the show before, I need to have him back. But he's an Aussie, ex-Royal uh, Navy guy. And I recommended that since I was such a war hero in the Cold War, a reactor operator on a submarine myself, that he should fly me out there for a couple months, put me up at the Four Seasons, I don't know, the presidential suite. I, being Australia, maybe it's the prime minister suite. But yeah, I should be there a few months, bring the whole fam. So if Australia could get on that. I'm listening. Time for the sound of the week. I actually have an old-ish song. Probably came out 10 years ago, but it's a, by a band called The December Sound, which is a very cool name. But they came out with like two songs and then vanished. But they're very trippy, psychedelic, uh, cool. This uh, latest, latest track popped up in Spotify random playlist mode, and I've just been listening to it over and over this week. It reminds me a lot, if you're familiar with Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles, just kind of the spacey, cool, freaky sound, and uh, this is called Signal Flow. And when you taste the blood of 
that psychedelic shtick lately. And that's it for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe if you have not already. Please review us, five stars preferred, on your pod slinger of choice. Please check out Ricochet. We are changing things up around there. Uh, We have an all-new website coming out, I don't know, a month or two, something like that. We will see how that goes. I will keep you informed. But thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Ricochet. Join the conversation.